Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and our podcast is sponsored by Indiana Women's Action Movement. Uh, we are very excited to start featuring the great Democratic women who are running for the state legislature in 2022. And today, uh, our first uh, interview is with Donna Griffin, who's running for the House of Representatives in District 88. Um, this district is a bit famous. Um, there were, have been some very uh, close races in this district. Uh, it is definitely winnable by a Democrat. Um, it has come very close on several occasions now. And, um, and this, is, uh, this is our time. So Adana, um, thank you for being on with me. And um, I'd like you to just, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and then tell us why you're running. Okay. Okay. Well, I have just finished a, a, a 25 year career as a teacher in classrooms, both here in the Indianapolis area, and then also in um, El Paso. I have um, am now currently an independent author and illustrate uh, educator. I've been substituting in Hancock County classrooms, and I am also writing um, books. So um, my family and I, we've lived in Hancock County for about 30 years, except for the time I lived in El Paso. Um, I have um, three, I have two children. I have four grandchildren and they all live in, in the central Indiana area. And uh, let's see a little bit more about my background. So um, <laughs> uh, I am running because of two main two reasons. And one is that I, as a teacher, I have become very concerned with the state's um, oversight on education in, in Indiana. And because I've been on the end, receiving end of their policies. And I want to make it more equitable by supporting teachers and to help them to get their voices heard. And so um, that's one to make education policy both for teachers and for students, because if you want the students to have a good experience, you want the teachers to have, they have to be in charge of the classrooms and they do know what's best. And then I also wanna represent different views and different people. I don't feel like in the last, you mentioned this district, in the last 30, 20 or 30 years, people in my area, especially, but in House District 88, there's only been one group of people that's been represented. And so I'm trying to, to represent people of diverse perspectives and um, different races and backgrounds, and especially women, which is also another big issue for me, is women's rights, because women's rights also affect education, affect public safety, affect medical care. It affects everything, including the economy, since we are, you cannot say any issue, any issue is not affected by women's rights because we are 50% or 51%, how, depending on how you look at it, of the population. And right now we are sorely underrepresented in Indiana. 21% of our state legislature is women. And that includes Democrats and Republicans. So I think if we had a different perspective from them, we would be better. I am also an adjunct professor, which I did forget, but I'm adjunct professor at Butler. So I teach a 
uh, student voices class with the media majors there at Butler as well. So be starting that up again in August. Well, this is great. So you've got a lot of great experience, um, uh, you know, particularly in education, which as we know, is a big problem here in Indiana. I just ran into a young woman at the county fair yesterday uh, who asked me how she will vote because she's in college. She goes down to Purdue. And uh, so I explained all the tour and I talked to her about her degree. And I said, so will you be coming back to Indiana when you graduate? No. I mean, just quick as anything, no, no thought, no is the answer. I will not teach here in Indiana. Um, and I just read uh, today in the paper, that I think there's something like 2,300 um, yeah. uh, vacancies. Um, so I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, and I think that you really hit on something when you talk about uh, women being important uh, in the legislature for you know, specific women's rights like abortion and healthcare, um, but also um, the impact that these educational policies have on women. Uh, we know that education, the employees are you know, mostly women and, and it really feels you know, like women are just being targeted uh, in everything they do. And that education is no different. Um, that, you know, I mean, no one's, you know, beating up on the steel workers unions or the iron workers unions, but the teachers unions are just getting constantly pummeled uh, with, with legislation and policy that, I mean, makes it seem like the legislature doesn't even think uh, teachers can teach. <laughs> so, Right. What are you going to do about that? Okay. Well, I think the first thing is set a whole different agenda because I feel like I, I taught through the two years of the pandemic in, in IPS. So that means I taught in my, in my room. I taught people, I taught at home. I taught people both places when I came back to school and I had a computer class going and and people in the classroom at the same time. Teachers, you do not know the, the turnaround that no one knows except the teachers, the turnaround that we had to make. It was, I still contend that it was worse than even the first, the, the healthcare and the first responders because we had to change our entire location. We had to change our delivery of our, our instruction. We had to do everything in addition to still being at home and taking care of, of our families. So I don't think that, that people understand that. And definitely, I guess the legislature didn't. I, uh, they agree that they just threw money at it, but they saw what happened. But education was on a downhill slide before that. And so what I think is, first of all, you need to listen to teachers and and local administrators. I'm not talking about people at the State Board of Ed. I am talking about people, the principals. I've talked to principals and I've worked with principals and they know best what their teachers need and what their students need. And across the board, what I hear from teachers and from the administrators that I've talked to is they need smaller class sizes. Now that's problematic because of what you just said. There's 2,300 teachers. That right. Well, and it used to be something that they're not there. They can't find anyone. That's right. That's but, right. And it used to be an issue that teachers could bargain for when they were doing their collective bargaining. 
that could be part of their contract. They could say, what is the maximum group size in that classroom? Well, now the state law says you teachers cannot negotiate for that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So that also is, is, and they did that at the same time that they instituted a very um, punitive evaluation system. The evaluation system for teachers, and I would say that next to the, the quality of their, their work-life quality within the classroom in terms of having, I, when I was a substitute, I had 28 kids in a classroom for, the, for a big chunk of the day. 28 kids trying to at least give them some one-on-one -on -one instruction. And I think most everyone agrees across the board that, that the more that teachers can work either individually or in very small groups with students, that's what they need. We're coming out of a pandemic where, you know, no one, including even the experts in healthcare, know the mental health impact. We're seeing the results of it, but we don't know how to deal with it. And I think that we need to, to realize that education has to change and adapt to these circumstances beyond anyone's control. It's not a political issue. And that's what I think was the biggest waste and made me the most angry and actually really, really forced, kind of spurred me to run was when I saw the, the legislative session this year and I was in classrooms where teachers were saying, we don't even have time to plan lessons. They spend between 10 and 12 hours a week in addition to their contracted hours doing the work that they need to do on Saturdays, on Sundays, every night, grading, talking to parents. They had contact with parents. And then there's this law that comes up that says, oh, they're trying to keep things hidden and they're teaching you subversive material. And, and the librarians have, have pornographic material in there. And it's like, I wondered what world they were living in <laughs> because I was in classrooms all over because I was teaching in an IPS school and I was also subbing in Hancock County schools. I was at a small private school and I saw the same thing there and I saw none of what the legislature wasted our time, our money, our, and most of all, the attention that education needs. And then they're like, why are things so bad? because no one is listening to teachers and nobody is setting an agenda that focuses on what women know needs to be done. We keep, just stop responding. We need to stop responding to, to the male-centered and centric um, agenda that's out there now. And focus that. on what we know. If this was our house, if we considered our community, our house, and we don't, we don't tend to do that anymore. Think of our communities as a place that we're responsible for. And this is in general, but we all need to be more responsible for, for building up our house and taking care of, of our communities. We have a responsibility to do that, whether it's through voting, running, volunteering, you know, but most of all through voting. I think if more people stepped up and just cast an informed ballot, that would be the key. Oh, that's terrific. Um, okay, so let's talk about a couple of other issues before um, before we end up because we're gonna we're gonna be, make this kind of short. So let's talk about um, healthcare. Um, 
Tell me, yeah. tell me, you know, tell me what you can do about healthcare. As you know, maternal mortality is twice the national rate in Indiana. Infant mortality, third in the nation. Um, we spend the least amount on children's health in Indiana than I think every other state. Um, and we are an unhealthy state. Uh, so what can be done? <clears throat> okay. Well, first of all, the number one thing is I'm going to go back to the vote because I can tell you what I would do, but I, I know that most of the Democratic caucus has been putting up those kind of laws, that laws that would address some of those things, that would address, you know, food for children, that would address um, housing, that would address childcare credits, tax credits, things like that, that would help. We are like, we are, you're right, we are the one of the worst because I think it goes back to back many, many decades and we have just accepted it. And that is that Indiana is a very sexist state. We still have never had a woman governor. I don't believe there's ever been, I'm pretty sure there's never been a woman mayor of Indianapolis, our largest city. Um, you know, we have been second class citizens and we just say, oh, well, that's okay because, you know, eventually we have, we have women lieutenant governors. We had a woman secretary of a superintendent of public instruction until she decided she wanted to really do her job. And then our now ex-vice president, who was the governor at that time, said, well, we can't have that elected anymore because when teachers got together and worked, they elected somebody who was really going to change the education system. And then she came up against the brick wall known as the Republican um, white male supermajority that was there even then. And, you know, she, she became the last, well, actually Jennifer McCormick was the last elected and then it's now totally appointed. And that's also when I said, no, something's not right here. When you have the governor and nobody was saying anything. So I think it's just time for women, which is also against our nature to speak up for ourselves. And, you know, and to really realize that what our views have equal weight to the prevailing male-centered view. You know, we think, well, work should not come first. In my mind, work does never come first in my person in my life. Work is is equal to or usually less than family's always been my first priority. Whatever my family is. It's not saying that you must stay at home and take care of your children, because I didn't always do that, but it was always my top priority. What would be best for them? And then I found work ways to do that. Women do that all the time, but they get penalized in our economic system. And because we don't have paid leave, that's why we don't have healthcare. You mentioned healthcare, it's because it costs too much to, to afford healthcare for many people. So it's not like they can just walk in. There's a big chunk of the population that, that is not able to get Medicaid and then, or you know, governmental assistance, but they, because they have jobs, <laughs> because they're working and they're supporting their families. And so they can't afford private, you know, insurance. So they have to figure out, do I eat? Do I go to the doctor for a checkup? Right. Right. It's, it's, to me, it's very simple why we're down like that, because we are not taking care of our real priorities and that family strength and what's there is the centerpiece of everything else what happens in each individual family, you know, that's what is the strength. 
And that's what government should pay attention to, not telling us how we should raise our families, not telling us how we should educate our children, but giving us a, gr a good, strong foundation. And then we know what to do. If you support us, just support us. Don't attack us. Excellent. All right. Okay. So we're almost out of time. So Donna, tell us how people can reach you, um, what kind of support you need for the campaign. How can we get a, a Democratic woman in there and flip a district from Republican to Democrat and from you know white male to progressive woman? We've had four wonderful <laughs> candidates, very diverse, all women. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the previous candidates have all been women, wonderful like candidates, intelligent. And um, they have come so close and it is, it is going up. And um, what you can do is my site is griffinforindiana.com. Go on there. You will get my contact information. Um, also, um, I am need, I'm gonna be sending out information about, um, I need help and we're gonna start canvassing. We're gonna start getting out the word because we are getting within 100 days of the election really soon. And of course, early voting starts much earlier than that. We're only talking October, you know, the middle of October is when we'll be able to start voting. And that's only in a few months. And it's so it's really important. If people are interested, they can get on my website and connect there. I'm on Facebook, I need as many followers as I can get. I'm also on Twitter, it's still Griffin for Indiana. Um, I am looking for people who want, not necessarily who think the way I do, but who want to have a choice and a change. And as a Democrat in Hancock County, where I live and, and in all of the other areas, it's hard to have a choice. You know, We don't often have choices, people don't step up and run. And you know, I think if you can support a fellow teacher, I'm not changed from when I was there. When I was teaching, I'm the same person who is a teacher, who's a mother, who's a grandmother, who is um, just trying to, to serve my community because I'm tired of seeing my views and people around me not getting any attention. Great, okay, so griffinforindiana.com and that's your handle on Facebook and Twitter as well, Griffin for Indiana. Yes. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And um, and I'm sure uh, once you get to the website, there'll be some instructions on how to donate if you can, because that is so important. I mean, you need to do mailers. Mailers are expensive. Uh, you need to buy yard signs. Yard signs. Buy, yeah. Yeah. Yep. You need to buy yard signs. You need to buy you know buttons and stickers and Ad stuff to get your name out and advertising. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the app at the top of my website, it says, can one person make a difference, which is kind of my theme, because we have to be that way, because we are, we have to recognize we're in the super majority state. So we need one person, but it's not one person at a time. I'm hoping for a women wave. That's what I'm calling it. I'm hoping we have a wave of women, because as you know, we have a ton of exceptional women candidates who mm -hmm. so I've had the privilege to, to meet and to talk with on several occasions. And I really think across the board with the state ticket and the legislative ticket in all of the state, we have, we have the ability to do that. And at least that's the only way we're gonna fundamentally change is if we right. change the makeup of this supermajority and bust it. Right. So, and right. we need about 10, what do we need 40? I think 
I think I heard there's 110 um, out of 150 people that we have, the uh, representatives that we have, that right now there are 110 Republicans and only 40 Democrats. Yeah, I think that, yeah, actually, I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah only 11 in the Senate and yeah. then yeah, 29 yeah. in the House, right? Yeah. So, so yes, we have so a lot of work to do. Elect, but <clears throat> elect women. They will fix this. So, all right, great. Well, thank you very much, Donna. It has been great talking with you. This is really oh, I've loved it. And wonderful to talk to you. And so, um, so hopefully we will catch up with you again. We'll do another podcast as this campaign moves along. Um, but I hope everyone get out there and just give you some support. You need it. I hope so. I'll look forward. I look forward to meeting you and, and meeting, meeting everybody out there. So, so yeah, if you can help, you can also just get on the website, give me a call. Great.